once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Which is more impressive, a long string of short-term relationships or one long-term relationship? With the first, you can do what you feel and move on, but the second requires commitment. Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series, The Authentic Life, with the second part of this message entitled Authentic Love, which covers 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Our Father, as we now pause here to find truth, we know that you have said of this truth, your word, that it sets us free. And we want freedom. We want our freedom for the sake of honoring you most of all. And let that be our intent. May you work in our minds first so that our hearts can be changed. I pray for those of us that don't understand the faith yet, that this might be a great aid to that end. And all of us, that we might find the real answer of love and what it means. So bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that many are getting this right now by live feed and not just uh, in our church but beyond. And so... Uh, if there are particularly people in the other venues, you didn't hear Jeff introduce the offering here, uh, but we did talk about its introduction to a new, to the last week of a series, or this is the end of a series, not the introduction, but it's the end of a series in 1 Corinthians. This week we're in chapter 13. It's on authentic life, the authentic life, and we're talking this week, 1 Corinthians 13, authentic love. This is week two. So I will give a brief review, kind of to bring us all up to where we are today, and then we'll bring conclusion to not just this subject matter of love, but also to the entire series. Previously, we talked about the fact that this idea of love, it is the greatest commodity of life. Now, the hierarchy of psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, they all seem to agree, love, 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 it's what everything's about. You got to love, you got to be loved. Very critically important. You come to the, the definition of love, maybe we're going to have some different views. Well, what, is, what is love? And people will think of it in different ways. But we'll all agree of its importance. No, no doubt about that one. Now, here's the deal. When we come to the time that, that this is being written, you've got an understanding of love among the Greeks of this idea of conditional love. That's all they really knew. The the words that they had for it were several. The two primary words we went over last week, eros, love. We get the word erotic, erotic from it. Uh, It's a sensual type of love. It it can be used to refer to animals that love as well as the human who loves. There's phileo love, which is considered a higher form of love. It's It's a love like a brotherly love. Just would be used of humans. And we love each other. But here is the unique thing of both. Both were conditional. So we would love based on the condition of the worth to be loved. Is this person, is this person lovable? And by the way, it's because many, many, many Christians see that as the only type of love that they're trapped in a Christian faith that seems to be kind of walling them in and it leads them to places they, for instance, life doesn't go so good. Everything turns sour on you. 
You say, well, wait, I've learned God is a sovereign God. He's in charge. So, well, God, you shouldn't let this happen to me. Or God, look what you're allowing to happen to these people. Look what's happening to my friend. Look what's happened to my love. Therefore, God, this just isn't right. I don't like it. And therefore, how can I love you if you're going to do things like that? Well, that's to be expected because what a, even a real Christian can do is, is be trapped in the wrong understanding of love and think that it's, oh, it's, it's just, it's a conditional love. And God, quite frankly, you're not meeting the conditions. You're not very lovable right now to me. You're not very lovely to me. I can't love you if you're not lovable and lovely. Well, Jesus comes along and he introduces love with a new word called agape. It's an unconditional term. It has nothing to do with conditions. And that's the love with which Christians are to love God. It's the same love that he has for us. It's the love we're to have for all people, even enemies. So it puts us in a whole different environment. So when we're talking about authentic love, it's not that eros love is not authentic in that realm or filio, but I'm talking about now, if we're talking about authentic, the unconditional love, it's got to be agape. That is the only, only one. Now, we need to make sure we understand the context. The context of what we're talking about here is out of chapter 12. If you don't know that, chapter 13 really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Chapter 12 is referring to a problem in the church at Corinth where Christians were battling with each other and arguing over spiritual gifts. Now, that is a God-given ability placed in every Christian, presumably at at, uh, spiritual birth, to be able to enhance the kingdom of God in some form or fashion. They're gifts to help others. That's the whole idea. But these gifts became something pretty important to people and say, I have the gift of, and particularly the the gifts that were miraculous in nature, those that were supernatural, they go, wow, speaking in tongues, prophesying, words of knowledge, and, and all of these things were expressions of the oratory that everyone in the Greek world was so enamored by, anybody that can speak, but to be speaking the things of God. And so arguments came about which gift is more important, and you don't have this gift, and I do, and it was dividing the church. So he writes in chapter 12 about that, and now he comes to 13 to say, now, you take all that stuff about gifts, and I want you to compare it to love. And that's where we pick up in the first verse of chapter 13. And so we looked, first of all, at, the, at the, uh, God's thoughts of authentic love, the whole chapter. Number one, the priority of love. And it reads like this, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love... I've become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal, just a noisemaker, verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, if I know all mysteries and all knowledge, he's talking about the gift of prophecy. This idea of mysteries would be able to get into the insight and the depth of the issues of redemption particularly and knowledge, probably word of knowledge where I have thoughts, truths of reality that that I could only know if God told me because no one else has told me. And this is what's true in your life. This is what's happened to you, whatever and so forth. He says, if, if I have even faith, if I have all faith, so much as to remove mountains, that's a lot of faith. 
That means things that could not happen otherwise without your faith. But do not have love, I'm nothing. Verse 3. And if I give my possessions, all my possessions to feed the poor, that's amazing. If I surrender my body to be burned, that's what happens in martyrdom. But do not have love, it profits me nothing. So he says, there's nothing more important. We walked, worked through that text. Now we see, secondly, the description of love, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, with the understanding, as we shared yesterday, or last week, that real love is giving people what they need. And so we have to certainly understand that as you read this and not kind of take it in such a way that, oh, yeah, believe all things. And I use the illustration of a chronic liar who comes up and you know what they're saying is not truthful and they lie to you. You're to love them. How do you love them? Well, you believe whatever they say. No, that's not doing for them what they need. It really isn't. There would be no grounds of divorce. There would be, I mean, the truth of it is, if you took it in that regard, you can take it out of boundaries from what he's saying here. He's describing this is the essence of love, meaning it's what you do for others with the idea of doing that which they need. Now, from that we look now, number three, at the perseverance or the permanence, I'm sorry, the permanence of love, verses 8 through 13. So we're going to start with verse 8, and, uh, and then let's just work through this text. This is a very challenging text. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away. Notice this. Prophecy, the gift of prophecy, done away. Knowledge, done away. Tongues, they will cease. For some reason, the Apostle Paul found fit to use a different terminology there. That is a highly, highly debated thing. Now, when it talks about will uh, be done away with, it means to gradually fade away. Uh, when it talks about tongues, it means will be silenced. I don't know, is there a reason why he used that different terminology? Many would make a lot, many would make a little out of that. I'm going to hold that just for a moment. I want us to, I want us to go to verses 9 and 10. It says this, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, meaning not perfectly. We only kind of have part of the picture. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Very interesting. Means gradually fade away. What in the world? Now, this text is not given for us now. The context is not to get into gifts further. But it's to show in contrast to love how important love is. So I don't want to get into that too much. But I do want to say this. There is something that changes in these gifts. There are people who are great theologians, love God, 
and search the scriptures, and they come to the conclusion there's nothing changed today about gifts from back in that day. There are others that are called cessationists. They think, oh no, this is teaching us very clearly that the gifts of the miraculous nature that he's referring to here, these particular gifts, they cease. And there are others, and this is the camp that I fall in, does not mean I'm right. I am not a scholar in this regard. Every pastor should be a scholar in one sense. But I'm talking about who just studies and reads and does nothing but investigate all the issues of certain things and they write about it and they think, I mean, just that's their life is just the scholarly side. And, and, and we differ on it. So I'm not a scholar in that regard, but I land doesn't mean it's right. I think there's something that's changing in these gifts from when he's speaking now to the future coming. Now, the big question is, what is the perfect? When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Oh, there's four or five different beliefs that are, that are acceptable. They could be. I think two of them are more primarily, you see most scholars would agree, maybe it's talking about eternity and when we go to heaven. The view that I tend to lean toward has to do with the idea, no, it's when scriptures become complete. They're not complete at this time. They're still being written. Obviously, we're reading one of the letters at this time. I do believe this. If you look holistically at the whole of the Bible, and this is all I'll say left on this, but if you look at the whole of the Bible, you see that there are basically four or so waves where God's truth came. You have, first of all, Moses and all the miracles that took place and the, the plagues you saw, the, uh, the parting of the sea. You go a little further and, and you get into the prophets and, and you see uh, Isaiah and, and so many of the prophets and all the incredible things that they're doing, uh, just miraculous things. But in between that, you see kind of a dipping down where there's not so much. And then you see this comes along. And then you see the apostles come along. Jesus, in, first of all, in the, uh, in the Gospels. And then you see the Acts and the story of the apostles. And you see this heightening and, and then raising of, of the miraculous, or, or heightening and then, and then dipping. And it appears to me that maybe this is to affirm that this really is Scripture. And so the miraculous would increase as scriptures being written to say, wow, 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 to give attention, this is the word of God. It verifies that those that are giving it are doing these incredible things. And then when scripture comes and complete, you don't have the same need. Are they done away with? I see nothing in the Bible that would say, oh, they just totally, totally, totally are gone now. But maybe there is an understanding that the heightened sense is not to be expected. For instance, maybe now, what I really am doing week to week with you is prophesying. Oh, I'm declaring this incredible insight and truth from God, but it's from His Scriptures. Maybe the whole idea of tongues is that, that now it's not the heightened, okay, there's a language that I'm speaking. I've never learned the language, but all of a sudden I'm speaking in your language. You can understand, as at Pentecost, you can understand what I'm saying. I don't even know what I'm saying, but you can, because God has gifted me with this ability. But now maybe it's uh, the ecstatic use of sounds that greatly benefit my soul. And they're not really designed in such a way that now uh, people are going to hear their language and they're going to understand what I say and all that. Maybe that's the heightened form. 
But don't throw that away, man, for one's personal use and one's ability to be able to, to connect in a deeper way, perfectly fine. And so if God gifts that, good. But it's gifts still. It still should be viewed as gifts, just maybe not as heightened. Now, again, nothing to affirm all of that per se, but I will say this, it is important that we know that something changes. But regardless of the fact that it's going to change, it is changing, it has changed, it doesn't matter. It's saying this, gifts, they're nothing to be compared to love. So now we look at verse 11. All right, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Then, grow up, did away with childish things. Now, think about gifts. A little child loves gifts. Now, I'm really against parents that, you know, I, I want you to do this. I told you to do this. And okay, if you'll do this, I'll do this for you. I'll give you a gift. Oh, you'll give me a gift? Okay, I'll obey. I think that's just not smart at all. But for grandparents, it's wonderful. <laughs> no problem at all. Because we want them to like us, right? So, you say to the grandchild, I know you don't want to, but I tell you, if you do this, I'll give you a present. Just the word present. A present? You gonna give me a present? Oh yeah, I'm going on this trip. I'll, I'll bring you a present. A present? And my kids can say to me, hey dad, what do you want for Father's Day? What do you want for birthday? What do you want for Christmas? I say, I don't care. In fact, you don't have to get me anything. I'm all right. I got it. I'm, I'm good. Oh, yeah, we like presents. Nothing wrong with presents. But there's a whole lot of difference between a child and adult when they look at presents. They'll take a present, they'll hang on to it and say, no, that's mine. I want that. You can't have it. And he's saying, no, no, that's, that's when you are a child. So he comes to verse 12. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. Now keep in mind, their mirrors were not like ours. They weren't so refined. They were pieces of metal that would be polished and polished until you could see your reflection at least in it. That's your mirror. But then, and we don't know for sure when is then. Is it once scriptures are now complete and full and so forth? Is it, is it when we get to heaven and is he talking about eternity? Now I know in part. But then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. And that takes us to the 13th verse, very familiar to many. But now faith, hope, and love. And you look at those three and say, which would be, the, which would be the, the pinnacle of all? Faith, that's pretty big. Hope, oh, you got to have it to live. But he says, no, all three abide, but the greatest of these is love. Now, with that last week, I moved into the first of three statements that kind of take the teaching, the understanding of this biblical concept of agape love and try to put it into some statements that might help us kind of hang on to it and be able to walk away with some clarity. So I started with number one. I didn't complete it. I'll say a few new things and review quickly what I said before. Let's take number one. This has to do with the difference between authentic and inauthentic love. First of all, inauthentic love is a natural emotion while authentic love is a supernatural fruit. And if you were with us last week, you know, here I had to say, whoa, whoa, whoa don't, don't misread this. Inauthentic love 
is not a natural emotion. Well, it is somewhat of a natural emotion if you're talking about eros or phileo love. But I'm talking about agape, and so if you want to talk about what is true agape love, then an inauthentic view of inauthentic love is that it's a natural emotion. No, it's not. In fact, authentic love, as agape love, is a supernatural fruit. And so I said, if it's a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, so forth. Love, then if it's a fruit of the Spirit, we have to appropriate the power of God's Spirit in order to exhibit or use that fruit, to have that fruit. And so instead of trying to teach you how to appropriate, I, I pointed you, if you're interested, I encourage you to go there if you haven't, are not familiar with this teaching, is to go to perimeter.org slash pope, and it'll have uh, Randy recommends, and you'll scroll, scroll down and you'll see appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's 17 minutes, it's not long, but it'll give you kind of understanding this idea of appropriating the power of God's Spirit. By the way, if you're in, if you're in journey groups, you're going to get this really well over the next several weeks. So we're going we're gonna to be hitting that hard, certainly. But very important to understand that whole concept that we're calling the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I told you in the beginning of last week that we take this little diagnostic, which I ask you four questions. If you weren't here with us, the diagnostic was evaluate from zero to 10, your own love, first of all, for God. Number two, for your spouse, if married. Number three, for your enemy, if you have an enemy. Number four, yourself, in the good sense of how you love yourself. And I said, I'm going to make a prediction that many of us are going to come back this week, we'll hear the rest of the teaching, and now we will evaluate our love for God a lot higher, somewhat higher, than maybe we did last week. And what I'm going to be sharing from this point on, I think, is going to be what I'm referring to and what is so very, very important. So let me put it this way. Do any of you as Christians who love the Lord, who come here to worship, do any of you ever find yourself in worship and look, maybe someone on the stage, maybe someone sitting there who is so engaged, not at all questioning the authentic aspect of their worship. They're so engaged, they're emotionally raptured in what they're doing. And then you think about your typical experience in worship and you go, why don't I feel that way? Why is that not what I'm experiencing right now? Maybe I just don't love God like they do. Let me ask you this. Any of you find in your prayer life that you're very determined and ready and desirous to be before the Lord and pray? You believe in prayer. But as you begin to pray, mind begins to drift. And you say, oh my, I, I just don't feel your presence, Lord. I really don't. I would love to. Would you, would you show me your presence? Would you make me feel your presence right now? And there's no presence. And then you hear someone else talk about, I was praying, and oh, God just seemed to be filling the room, and all da 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 And you go, wow. I guess I don't really love God like they do. It would really reflect, I think, in the presence that I sense of God. I want you to hear this, maturity. Maturity in love. 
in your understanding of love has to do with how you love and primarily when you don't have feelings. That would be the ultimate expression. That's one of the greatest life learnings I've had in my Christian faith. It really is. I mean, I I keep saying, thank you, God, for letting me understand love that is agape love. When you have that kind of love, you tend to do something like this. Lord, I'll be real honest, I don't feel your presence right now, but oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love you. Well, how can you say that if you don't feel very, oh no, you're going back to your phileo love. And right now, I'm being hammered in life, or right now, I'm going through this, and I'm going through that, and, but Lord, I don't feel very close to you right now, but oh God, I still love you. Many of you know that Fenelon, Francois Fenelon is just a, a real aid to me, almost daily, I read him. And uh, this is 300 years ago again. But this is what he says about it. Pure love is only in singleness of will. It is a love which loves without feeling, as pure as faith believes without seeing. The more the action is purely intellectual and spiritual, the more it is not only reality, but the very perfection for which God asks. Indeed, true virtue and pure love do not exist except in the will alone. He doesn't bring the emotion in there. If the imagination wonders, if the thoughts are carried away, let us not be troubled. Often, he takes it away from us to advance us. Hmm. There's no greater repentance than this state of pure faith without any feeling of support. I'll say this, you just think about your children if you're married and have children. Imagine this if not. You have a child and you say to your child, all right, honey, I want you to do something for me right now. See that candy bar that you love so much? I'm going to require you to eat it right now. Got to eat all of it. Yes, sir. They eat the candy bar. Compare that as the parent to this one. Honey, I know you really don't like asparagus, but I want you to eat your asparagus. I want you to eat all of it. Oh, asparagus, it tastes terrible. Mm. I want you to eat it though. Yes, sir. And they eat it. Which delights your heart the most? Where the feelings are high to do everything you're asked to do? Or when your feelings are not so high, but you would choose to do that anyway? I know this, I've had plenty of occasions where people have asked me, say, would you help me understand whether I'm a Christian? I I may not be a Christian, I don't know. I I really hope so, I wanna be, but I'm not sure I'm a Christian. And I said, well, let me ask you this. Number one, do you believe the things of the gospel, meaning that Christ alone has done everything you need for your salvation? Do you believe that? Oh, yeah. That it's only through Christ you can be saved. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you follow him? I'm not talking about perfection, but is it your your mainstay and thought daily to follow him and what you do? Do you follow? Well, yeah, that's a high commitment I have. I sure do. Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe there's anything that you could do 
that by doing so, you would cause God to love you more than he loves you right now. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think that's possible. It's, it's all has to do with his. No. Well, I mean, do you think there's anything you could stop doing or start doing that would cause him to love you less? No, he loves me the same because of, of what, he's, what Jesus has done for me. Then let me ask you this question. Why do you still follow him? If he's going to love you the same, why do you still follow him? Because he's God. He's my Savior. At least that's what I'm hoping, I think. I look at that person and I say, you know what? Your feelings aren't there, but your faith is. Why would you follow otherwise? Oh, I understand the Pharisees would follow the laws and to do the things because, you know, after all, if not, you won't go to heaven. You don't believe that. See, feelings can certainly be missing, but it doesn't mean that there is no love to be accounted for. Let's look at number two. Number two, inauthentic love is motivated by self-interest, while authentic love is motivated by God's commands. Just understand that inauthentic love can appear very noble, very humanitarian. We will not be able to always know in somebody else's experience, is it real love or not? We, We just don't know. I know this. That it is, you know, we have feelings of compassion that, that need to be expressed. Uh, there are many here that would, would say, man, it makes me feel good to give to the poor. I predict that some of the most giving people that we know, that we applaud so giving, may be some of the most selfish people we know. And they have to give a lot because of what it does for them. We don't know. So uh, understand that, that authentic love is motivated with the ideal of glorifying God. That's why we would do what we do that we really don't want to do, but yeah, God, you say to do it, I'll do it. And God, you say not to do it, I, I, I won't do that. Like this, some of you have heard me use this. I, I, I don't eat a lot of desserts, but I eat desserts. I, I like desserts. And um, so if you have to name some of the desserts you like, one of them would be uh, lemon icebox pie. Love lemon icebox pie. So somebody says, would you like some lemon icebox pie? No, no, thank you. Oh, I thought you liked it. Oh, I do. I do. Well, why don't you eat it? Well, actually, there's some things that I like a little bit more than eating lemon icebox pie. That is the things that I get from not eating lemon icebox pie. (laughs) So, you know, right now, that just seems to be a little bit more important to me. Well, it's kind of the same way. Oh, you love the Lord, so you don't like to sin, do you? Oh, yes, I love to sin. It makes me feel really good when I sin. Well, then why don't you sin? Oh, I don't want to do that because there's something that I love more, and that's obeying my God. So motivation is a big thing. Well, motivation comes in different levels. Imagine the person who's playing football for Kirby Smart at the University of Georgia, and and the assistant coach, the assistant coach is saying, run that sprint, run, 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 And, 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 and Joey won't run the sprint very fast. Joey thinks he's running as fast as he can run. The coach keeps jumping on him. Run, you can run faster than that. I can't, coach. I can't, I can't, I can't. And then all of a sudden, the voice of one very recognizable, Kirby Smart, the coach, the head coach, says, get running. And all of a sudden, there's a pickup of speed. Oh, there was something left in the tank, wasn't it? He didn't even know it. Sometimes it's the same with us in sin. We go, you know, I, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't obey, I can't obey. And then we, we realize it's the voice of our Father. 
who loves us, it says, run. And we pick it up a little bit. But see, that's where the analogy falls short. Because we can do that. We can even hear it's him and we still find ourselves incapable of running any faster. And we realize we need an infusion. And so we get an IV, some fluids. We get a little break. We take some carbs. We do some things. And next thing you know, we're running faster than we thought we could ever run. That's the appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to turn to Him. Because even our greatest motivation falls short without His power infused within us. I want to say to singles and to youth, look for maturity in those that you engage with in the closeness, the very closeness of your life, marriage and beyond. Look for people that that understand the mature concept, and that is that the greatest love is demonstrated in the midst of the least emotion, the highest demonstration of all. Let's look at number three. Inauthentic love is measured by feelings, while authentic love is measured by commitment. You've heard me use the story not too long ago. I used it of, uh, when we were talking about love at another time uh, in marriage. I was talking about how many young couples that I meet with, and I say, do you love each other? Yes, we do. How do you know? And then they start pointing to their chest. That's a bad sign. <laughs> because eventually, they're going to not be able to point themselves, and they're going to say, no. It's gone. Whatever was there is gone. And so... The great discovery for me, four years into starting to date Carol and caring for her a lot, but kind of up and down, not knowing, I didn't know. My, my parents had divorced at 25 years, and I thought, hey, they had a pretty good thing, and my father even said, I, we loved each other very much for many, many years, but it just left. It's gone, and a new love came into my life, and that just, that, and I go, well, if that can happen, it can happen to me. Well, how will I ever know? And so in that five-year period, four years that Carol and I dated, during that time, she at one point said, I don't expect anything back from you. I just want to let you know that I love you. And that's that. I won't keep saying it, but I just want you to know I love you. Because she knew I was struggling to figure out, did I love her? I don't know. I didn't know what love was. And I went to some incredibly, you know, strong godly leaders and say, what is love? And began to piece, piece it together. And, and I came up with this definition, one of the greatest, greatest, greatest things I've ever learned. Love is a commitment. It's not a feeling, it's a commitment. Based on the will of God, this is agape love. What does he say I should do for someone else? What does he say I should do for him? And often, but not always, undergirded by an emotion. And when it is undergirded, isn't it all the sweeter? But it's the caboose. It doesn't have to be there for the train to run. That's the beauty of this whole idea of agape love. I remember a, a long drive that I made when I came to now understand what love was. It was a hundred mile trip to speak to Carol. And I knew she told me she loved me. I assumed that she still was holding to that. But now I knew that I loved her, but now I did not know the answer to this question. Why do you love me? 
And so I asked her, and I told the Lord on that trip, and it was a scary time for me because I told the Lord, if I'm getting the wrong answer from her, and it's just a phileo love, then I need to stop it now. I don't need to go any further. And I didn't want it to stop. But I remember asking Carol, Carol, you still love me? Yeah. Why do you love me? And I listened to her answer, and I said, mature understanding of love. I think she's got agape love for me. Now, that's a safe bet right there. It doesn't mean all will for sure be right, but I'll tell you this. The odds go way up when somebody says, I understand love, and I have agape love. Now I know this. I should expect that there's going to be love coming my way unless she starts walking away strongly from God. That can happen. But why not say now? That's, that's, a, good, that's a good start right there. So let me read one last quote. And by the way, there's a third that you can find any of the notes that are put up here. You can find on the podcast. They're in the notes there. But Finlan says this, it is not a question of feelings, but of the will. Often our feeling does not depend at all upon ourselves. God takes it away purposely that we may feel our poverty, that we may learn to accept the cross of inner dryness, and that we may undergo the purification of clinging to him without any sensible consolation. And then he restores to us the comfort of warm feelings from time to time out of pity for our weakness. Isn't that great? This now puts meaning to John 14, 21. Just the first part of it I read. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. You want to know how you love God? You obey his commands. Not believing that you're meriting favor. You understand the gospel. And you still say, my feelings are low. My commitment is high. There is the most mature of all love. So as I said last week, my great recommendation uh, to love people that are not lovable, you better have agape love. How does that come about? Number one, admit. I'll put the word up, admit. Admit that you can't on your own. Appropriate, appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, commit. Say, I'm going to commit now to doing what God commands. Love your enemy, love your spouse, love your God, love yourself. It's a commitment based on the will of God. So now can you rate yourself? Go back to the beginning of last week. You, you have the rating of your you're zero to 10. I bet you a number of us here are saying, you know what? I think I love God more than I thought. I was basing it on the fact of the absence of high emotion. You can love your spouse. You can love your enemy. You can even love yourself who you may not like a lot. You can love if you have that understanding. We can go to the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is where you see his love. And then you understand, oh, as we are loved, those that are loved much, love much, the scriptures say. Well, how do you know you're loved? Look at the cross of Christ, Christian. Seeker, look what he did. He went to Calvary's cross for people just like you and me. And you say, I am loved. And then he pours his love in us, Romans 5. And that love can be appropriated out to others. We got a big homework assignment for a lot of us, and that's to claim claim authentic love, the agape type 
live by it, and watch the fruit that comes from it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel that you have you've given your life for us, that we don't have to earn any favor. And so we invite you. We invite you now as seekers among us. Would you show me your love as I stare at your cross? May I see it. May I understand it. May I have it. May I give it away. And Father, for all of us as Christians, particularly I pray now for our young people, our children, our youth. Oh God, let them see through this conditional love of the world in which we live. And may they go to understand and to live out agape love. We ask it in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.